So the last few weeks I've been dealing with, um, in this series for several weeks now, on how to deal with doubt and unbelief. Because doubt left undealt with just tends to build and build and build. Instead of building a foundation of faith in our heart, we start building a foundation of doubt and unbelief, and we don't even know it. And we get around the right crowd, they're going to confirm your doubt and unbelief and not confirm or convict you for where your faith is. And if you hung out with Jesus very long, uh, he would not, you would not be comfortable in his presence with your doubt and unbelief. I'm saying to me too, I'm saying to everybody, okay? In his presence, he'd be like, where's your faith? When Peter sunk in the water, like, where's your faith? You know, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. Feeding 20,000 people with, uh, you know, five loaves and two fish, where's your faith? You know, it's like he, he's doing these impossible things and questions them when they doubt. So God wants us to deal with our doubt and unbelief because we deal with our doubt and unbelief, our faith will naturally work better. So the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing on how we're tempted to doubt but we're also tempted to fear. Your doubts and your fears are temptations. They're not just emotions, not just feelings. They're actually temptations from the evil one to cause you to think less of yourself, less of others, and less of God. And once we believe those lies and they're interwoven into our hearts, it corrupts and perverts our very fiber of our faith. And it comes through pain, it comes through trauma, it comes through people, it comes through abuse, neglect, it comes from disappointments, it comes from all the different stuff we go through in life. It interweaves into our heart to make us doubt God. And God doesn't want us to do that. But when we let our experiences dictate what we believe and not let the Word of God dictate what we believe, it's going to have an impact on us. And we've all done it. This is not a judgment, this is just a reality. We've all done it to some level or some degree because we've all gone through pain, we've all gone through disappointment, we've all had things that didn't go the way we expected. And when that happened, we had to process our pain. And we don't often process it the right way. We don't. We do the best we can, and some of us, we sweep it under the carpet, we don't talk about it, and then other, others will talk about it to everybody all over town, and we, just, we don't know how to handle our pain sometimes, but we have to bring it to God. And he'll heal those things, and you'll get his perspective on what actually took place. You know, the, the evil you see in the world is not a demonstration of the sovereignty of God. The evil you see in the world is a demonstration of the free will of man. Okay? That's what you're seeing. All right? So if you missed any of those sermons, you can go back and listen to them. They're, on, they're available on any of your favorite podcast apps and different stuff like that. But today I want to go a little deeper in the, in the topic of temptations. We are tempted to do things, and we, we don't even sometimes know it. And sometimes we, we uh, perceive temptation as just a weakness, or it's just a weakness. Or, or I can handle that myself. I'm, I'm, I'm strong enough. I've already defeated that. Or I'm, I'm too big for this. Or I wouldn't ever fall into this sin or that sin. And you know what? When you think like that, that you're big enough, strong enough on your own, without help from God, you are deceived. The devil has been around a lot longer than you and I. And he has these tricks, these tactics he uses. He has schemes the enemy has to try to take you out, to ruin your life, to destroy your family. He's not greater than you. He's not greater than God. Amen? He's not. Okay, we are in Christ. Greater is he that is in us and he's in the world like we were singing earlier. But if we listen to him all the time and we're not listening to God, we're going to believe the wrong things. I shared this last week. I just, um, some of you that weren't here, had this vision of this conveyor belt that's going up this way and had these little tracks on it and these piles of dirt on each of these tracks spaced about two or three feet apart. And it was going up to this top pretty high and it was dropping off these little piles of dirt again and again, one after another after another. And this person was sitting underneath on, in a chair and this dirt just kept falling down on top of them and they just they didn't even move. 
just kept hitting them again and again and again. They didn't look up, they didn't look left or right. Just one after another, boom, just kept landing on them. And it didn't act like it phased them, hurt them or anything, and they just sat there. And God said to me, that's what I'm like, that's what we're like. We hear the lies of the enemy, we, we hear doubt and unbelief, and we don't do anything about it. Like that person sitting there on this pile of dirt, being had this, this dumped on us, poured on us again and again and again, and we don't do anything about it. And what do we do about it? We need to use the sword of the Spirit of God and move out the way, right? Get up and move out the way of that dirt pile, amen? So I want to look at, we looked at before how Jesus handled temptations, and we saw how he did it very well. I'm going to show a few examples today of some characters in the Bible that you guys know that didn't handle it so great. They're probably more closer to us than uh, maybe Jesus is. Is that okay to say? <laughs> we are like Jesus often, but sometimes we're not, right? So we're going to start with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. Genesis 3, 1 through 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? He starts right off with a really stupid question. If you don't know this, um, Adam and Eve were vegetarians. So all they had to eat was plants and trees and fruit and stuff like that. that they, didn't ha- they weren't killing deer back then. That didn't happen until after the flood, you see in the Bible. But, um, so they said, did God say you can't eat anything in here? Can you imagine you lived in the garden, you couldn't, you're looking at all these awesome pomegranates and different things, but you can't eat any of them? So he starts with this stupid kind of a question just to get this conversation going. And the woman said to the serpent, we, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, you know, we've heard this story so much that we're actually comfortable with the fact that Eve was talking to a snake. (laughs) Well, that's a crazy thought on its own, but she's talking to a snake. So I want you to notice something here. Adam or Eve, one or the other, changed something that God said. They changed it. You know, the Bible talks about do not... Do not change it at all. You're in danger of hellfire, it says in Revelation. If you add one thing to this book, the law, or take anything from it, you're in danger of hellfire. And they added something to it. I'm going to show you this in Genesis 2. This is actually what God said, verse 16 and 17. It says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. There was no mention of if you touched it, you would die. That will, show, uh, that will come into play more in a minute, but they added that to the Word of God. He said, don't eat it, and Adam or Eve are both added, don't touch it. Verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What did the devil do here? Notice his strategy to deceive Eve. He questioned God. He challenged a direct word from God and said, you will not die. God already said you would die. He said, you will not die. And then he, so he challenged her with that. And he says, uh, it's one of those things that's like a half truth and a half lie. Because she didn't, they didn't die instantly when they ate of this fruit, did they? Right? You guys hear? Right? They didn't die instantly, but they did die spiritually instantly. And eventually they did die physically some 900 years later or so. But they did die before that moment. There was no death in this world. There was, they, there was no death. So spiritual death caused physical death. What happens in the spiritual takes place in a natural second. It's in the spirit first, then second after. So God's word was true, and the devil brought in this lie, challenger, like God's holding something back from you. You can't trust God. Don't trust God, trust me. 
You know, whether we know it or not, we are tempted in the same type of way all the time. You can't trust God. God's not telling you the truth. This is true over here. And we're judging by what we've experienced, what we've seen in someone else's life. And the devil paints this enticing-looking picture, and he shows uh, what her life would look like, what your look, life would look like if you did it this way, if you did it that way, if you took this shortcut, and you went over here and did this and that. And he doesn't show you the cost or the penalty, for the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is nothing the devil has to offer you that doesn't end in death. There's nothing. So he says, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. They already were like God. I mean, how much more could they have been like God than they were right then? I mean, I can't think of any other way, right? They were like God already. But he caused them to even doubt that. Doubt they were like God. Then he says, your eyes will be opened. Your eyes will be opened. You know, many false religions today have this enticing draw to pull people in on this illumination. Come into this secret society. Come into this group, this this religion, this false religion, and we'll get you this higher revelation, this greater illumination, and you'll get this information, this secret revelation stuff from God, and you'll be more like God. Your eyes will be opened. And you know what? Anytime you go to a source other than God Almighty, you are going to a deceptive source. Your eyes are not going to be open to the things of God. Your eyes are going to be deceived into seeing things differently like the devil does. They think it's a greater illumination, this greater revelation, trying to get this information from another source. And it's not greater. It's less than. It's much less than. So I wonder, um, when we do that, you know, we, listen to the, we go to the enemy for access. You know, I've heard stories of people doing that. They had something bad happen in their life, and instead of going to God with it, they went to uh, you know, the psychic hotlines. And they've gone to other people that, are, that do these kind of things. I'm telling you, when you do that, you are opening your life to the devil. You open your life up to the demonic realm. You might just want this information, but you, you give this little inch, you crack that door open, he comes in like a flood, and you get way more than you asked for. Yeah. All right, don't do that. All right, don't do that. It's not good. <laughs> so, uh, it, uh, so if you ever wondered when he said, your eyes will be open, you, uh, you'll be like God, you, th- you ever wonder that if the enemy here was talking about the actual one true God, or he was referring to himself, you will be like God, small g. Because after this sin took place, he became the God of this world. The authority that, that Adam and Eve had been given by God was transferred over to him, and he knew that was about to happen. Oh, just bite it. Just bite it. And all it was, anyway. All right, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. One of Eve's problems here was her proximity to the forbidden tree or the fruit or the serpent. Her proximity was part of the problem. Either she was close to this tree and the snake was hanging out in the tree, or the serpent led her from a distant place over to the tree. Either way, she was at a place she wasn't supposed to be. And it's much easier for you and I to be tempted when you're at some place you're not supposed to be at. Your mom and dad, mommy and daddy taught you better than that. Your grandma told you, don't go here, don't go there. You know, drink, chew, and go with those who do. <laughs> All that's kind of jokes and saying stuff. But uh, when you go to certain places that is at enemy's ground, your temptation level is going to be way up, way up, and your, and your power to overcome that is going to be down. So as she's listening to these temptations, she starts to see things differently. You ever, meet, you ever get around people like that? All of a sudden, they had this new revelation out of nowhere. And they started hanging out with this certain group or this, this certain group of people, or whatever, and all of a sudden, they're seeing things differently. This mysterious whatever starts happening. All of a sudden, she starts seeing, oh, that tree is good. 
That tree is pleasant to look at. That tree can make me wise. I want some of that. It's good, pleasant, and desirable. And she's changed what she wanted. She's changed all that time. She believed this tree would cause death if she touched it, if she ate it. She believed that. And all of a sudden, after listening to the devil for just a short time, it went from killing her to it's going to make her wiser and smarter. You know, the devil would try the same tricks with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, a thousand people might have died from doing drugs. They might have overdosed on this. They might have died from this. But it would never happen to you. Come on, why don't you take it? Why don't you smoke this or snuff this or whatever they do nowadays? Inject this. It won't hurt you. It won't do anything. You're gonna, you'll be free from all that pain. You'll be whatever this enticing lies that he puts out there. This beautiful life is just around the corner of this certain drug. And it's not there. The only thing that's there is death. The only thing that's there is death. It's amazing to me that we worked with Crossnor kids for so long, and most of them were there uh, because of drug addictions to their parents or alcohol abuse and things like that. And when they would leave, they would become just like them. They saw the damage that it did to their family. They saw how it put them into children's home. They saw how it was painful, and they would repeat it again and again and again, and they would do the same thing, thinking that they could do that stuff, and it would have a different result for them. But it doesn't. It doesn't. So she took this fruit in her hand, and she did not die. She's holding it. She's looking at it. And she didn't die. She goes, maybe God did lie to me. Maybe he did hold something back from me. I thought, Adam, you said, if I touch this thing, I'm going to die. You see, this is what happens when you change the word of God. We add stuff to it or take stuff away from it. When it doesn't happen the way we perceived it happened, she instantly, her doubt and unbelief went to a whole nother level, and she ate. And when she ate, what happened after that? Death. Death to everyone. Spiritual death, instantly physical death, not just for her and Adam, but for the entire human race from here on out. That was a pretty big deal, right? So um, something also died on the inside of her. And I want you to notice the strategy of the enemy. First, he challenged a direct word from God. He caused her to question her trust in the Lord. He caused her to question her trust in the Lord. You know, there's something dysfunctional in our relationship with the Lord when we don't believe him. Are you okay with that? It's not God, and it's not a condemning message. I want it to empower you. There's something dysfunctional in your relationship with Jesus when we don't trust him. There's some kind of lie we've believed. There's some kind of deception the enemy's brought in that causes us to look at something different as good, pleasing, and desirable when it's not good, pleasing, or desirable from the Lord's point of view. We're listening to the wrong source. He painted this enticing picture how much better her life would be. He caused, caused her to fear that maybe, just maybe, God might be holding something back from me. He might be, I wonder. And she's meditating on this, and she's pondering this, and thinking about it. Maybe he is holding back from me. I'm holding it right now. I'm not dead yet. Maybe God didn't tell me the truth. And guys, I'm telling you, the doubt just increases and increases and increases. Amen? Hallelujah. I was hoping that would happen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so after this, she began to desire wisdom, and she started to meditate on it. She was meditating on it. Just thinking about, I wonder how smart I'd be. Hmm, I'd be smarter than Adam. Wouldn't I? I'd be smarter than, I'd be as smart as God. I wonder what else I could do if I eat this thing. And guys, her mind so changed so quickly. You see, you can't have two conflicting truths at the same time. One is going to be true, and one's going to be a lie. And the more she meditated on that, the more she pondered and wondered if this thing would bring her wisdom or not, the more she doubted God. The more she started to believe this, the more she started to doubt God, and it moved her from doubt to fear to disobedience. And that's the pattern of the enemy. 
He tries to do that with you and me too. Doubt what God said. Fear that something's better or greater or something, something's going on differently. And then, then we move into dis, uh, disobedience. It's just part of his plan. So as the enticing and her desire for greater wisdom increased, she began to see things differently. Up until that moment, she had, had viewed the tree as forbidden. The tree was evil to touch, causing death. But after the temptation, she saw the tree as good, pleasant, and desirable. The word pleasant here means a longing of one's, ap- one's heart, a delight, a desire, a wish, a lust, or an appetite. In Numbers 11.4, the word is translated, the people lusted a lust, or felt a gluttonous craving. And the word desirable here means to desire, to covet, to take pleasure in, to delight in, to lust after. The enemy took Eve's desire in her heart for wisdom, and he, she, he just enticed her with grandeur of greatness, of being as smart as God or smart as this, and she started to doubt God's word. And then again, she started to fear that maybe God's holding something back from her. What could he possibly be holding back from her? But somehow, I mean, when you ever, you ever notice someone else's temptations or their struggles, and you think, why, would they, why, are, they, why are they falling for that? It's, it seems so obvious. Like, what, what's going on here? And it is obvious sometimes we're looking at someone else's life. It's not always obvious looking at ourselves. And it wasn't obvious to her. So she started to fear. And then she was tempted to disobey. And when she did, something died. Something died. So the reason I'm sharing with this with you is there's no temptation that uh, has come upon you except what's common to man. The very same things that Adam and Eve were tempted with were tempted with in the same way, in different, in, but different, a different look, but the same thing. And if Eve was tempted for more wisdom. It's possible you and I have been tempted for more wisdom. To go after it maybe some other way. Maybe you've tried to look at horoscopes to find wisdom. Some people have gone to Ouija boards and seances and mediums to at, look for wisdom. That happened in the Bible days. It happens today. They have seance shops all over the place because we're not demonstrating the power and the prophetic voice of God enough. People have to go to a demonic source to hear something they should be hearing in the house of God. So once again, part of Eve's problem was her proximity. Her proximity to the temptation, her proximity to the enemy. And the devil's job gets a lot easier when we get too close to something we shouldn't be around. The next one I want to look at, we'll see the same type of strategy. The next person I want to look at is King David. So King David, we're going to look at First Chronicles 21, 1 through 7. David was a man after God's own heart, but David did some really wicked things. Do you know that? He did some really, really wicked things that if you knew the person, you wouldn't want to be his friend anymore. If he was alive today, he would be in prison. He wouldn't be still king after some of the things that he did. So let's look at this. First uh, Chronicles 21, 1 through 7. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. I want you to remember this verse, okay? Satan stood up against Israel and moved David's heart to number Israel. So David sent, said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Job answered, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then does the, my lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore Joab departed and went throughout all of Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah had 400 
and 70,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was, an abom- was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done a very foolish thing. In this story, Satan moved David to number the Israelites. This man of God, man after God's own heart, guy that wrote so many of the Psalms that we love to read, that we read this morning, and so many of those things. But he was tempted to disobey God. He was tempted. And previously, there were certain regulations given by God of how to take a census. Certain things were supposed to be done, and some things were not supposed to be done. And he was, he was not supposed to just do one anytime he chose to. He wasn't supposed to do one anytime he got in fear. He was supposed to do it as the Lord instructed him to. And he, didn't count, he wanted to count the Levites in the, in the count, and Joab didn't do it. He disobeyed him. Levites are the priests, and they're there to serve in the temple, not, not fight in wars and battles. And he didn't, he didn't also count Benjamin. We don't really know why he didn't count Benjamin. I read a couple commentaries on it, and some suggest that um, they had already taken a, a, a census previously, just shortly before that. Another commentary suggests that he didn't bother to count them because they were so small. That they were, and Judges 21 said they were almost extinct because they, they had lost so many people in, in a fight and war. So there were other regulations as well, but David disregarded God's regulations and was moved by fear and doubt to disobey God. Didn't count the cost. The devil moved his heart. He probably made it look like some grander thing, like he always does, but he moved his heart to disobey God. So let's see what happened because there had to be some kind of temptation before this took place in order for David to do that. He wouldn't just say one day, hmm, let's count the people. There's something happened first. So the previous chapter, 1 Chronicles 20, verse 1, says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time kings uh, go out to battle, that Joab led out the armed forces and ravaged the country of the people of Ammon and came and besieged Rabah. But David stayed in, at Jerusalem. Rabah is the capital city of Ammon. And in the springtime was the time of the year that the kings were supposed to go out to battle. And for whatever reason, this time, David wanted to stay home. This, to me, is where the temptation really began. was right here. Something simple as just stay home. They don't need you. They don't need your help. They can win this war without you. You don't need to be the king. You don't need to ride around and, and boss people around what to do. You can just stay home, relax. You've, you've fought so many wars. You've already killed Goliath. You've already done so many things in your past life. You can just, you can just stay home and relax. You know, you are tempted to do the exact same thing. I've already served Sunday school for 20 years, 30 years. I, I've already done this. I've already done that. I've already done this. Now I can, and I, I'm old now. I can just take it easy. I can just not do anything. I'm telling you, when you do that, oh, I didn't mean this to come out judgmentally or critically. I don't mean it like that. I'm just saying, when you do that, you have to recognize you are being tempted to stay home. You're being tempted to be lazy. Because the devil's setting you up to be home alone and bored, and he can get to your ear and start whispering stuff into your ear, your ear like number the troops or whatever other thing he wants to try to get you to do. We are tempted to stay home from church sometimes. We're tempted from going out and visiting people sometimes. We know we're supposed to go visit someone or check on somebody. We're tempted to stay home. We are tempted to be lazy. Amen? I like lazy sometimes. You know, I really do. I think it's a friend, but it's not a good friend. Sometimes. Sometimes it is, because you can definitely overwork yourself. But we are tempted just, just to be selfish. David was supposed to be at war. You're at your best when you're doing what you're called to do. Not just staying home and doing other things. So 
We're tempted to stay home. Um, we're tempted to stay home from church. We're tempted to not visit people. So David stays home, and he's listening to these other things. Then David's men defeat the nation of Ammon, which is modern-day Jordan. They overthrew the capital city, captured the king, and made the people their slaves. After this, another war broke out against the Philistines. And Sippa, he's one of the sons of a giant, was killed. This is one of Goliath's brothers was killed. So it's another big victory. Later on, um, another one of Goliath's brothers called Lema was uh, also killed in another war sometime later. And then there was another war. This is the fourth war. I'll read this to you in... Um, 1 Chronicles 20, verse 6. So yet again was a war at Goth, where there was a man of great stature, with 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand and six on each foot. That's one of the main reasons I wanted to read that to you, because that's like some crazy stuff right there. This is a big dude with extra fingers and toes. And he also was born to the giant. So when he defiled Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, killed him. These were born to the giant in Goth, and they, they fell by the hand of David, by the hand of his servants. Not really David so much, but by his men. So David and his kingdom had one victory after another, after another, after another. They defeated this country. They won this war. These people, they captured the king. The people were enslaved. They, then he killed three different giants. Things were going great. Things were just going great. But you know in your life, when things are going great, we have a tendency to let our guard down a little bit. You know, when your, your dreams have already been accomplished, when all the things you had ambitions for had already been done, what do you do then? When you already have the house and the picket fence and the two and a half kids and a dog, what do you do after that? When all your dreams, all your stuff, you've been wanting this stuff to happen, when you have all those things, David already had, all, what happens then? What do you do then? You stay home for more. You stay home from war. You listen to the voice of the enemy. You listen to these lies, these deceptions. Uh, it's okay. You, you already made it now. You've made it. You've made it now. Just stay home. Just, you don't need to do anything. And he wants to keep you from people. He wants to keep you from this house. He wants to keep you from church or places that worship God. And you can stay home all by yourself, and he can torment you as often as you let him with lies, deceptions, and accusations, and fear, and all kinds of stuff. Amen? He did it to David. He's going to try to do it to us, too. So, you know, it's been said more people fall due to success than they do when they're struggling. When they're struggling, you still have this goal. I just, I got to get this done. I want to get this accomplished. I want to get this degree. I want to do this. I want to do that. But after all those things are done, what happens then? We need to get some new goals. Amen? Because we're going to, if we don't, we're going to have some letdowns. So after great victories in your life, you need to be on the lookout. Because oftentimes after great victories, there's also some great defeats. There were some awful defeats, and this is what happened with David. So after all these victories, after all these wars were won, why would David call a census? They already kicked everyone's tail. They already beat them all, killed giants. They won every war. They just, they want, why would he do it then? Why would he do it then? Well, let me show you this. I, I believe that David was tempted to believe a lie. He was tempted to doubt that his protection wasn't there. And he became afraid of retaliation of the Philistines, Ammon, and their allies. He became afraid that they're going to revenge and maybe kill one of his kids or hurt his family or attack him. And fear started to settle into his heart. Remember, it said Satan moved David's heart to number the people. How did he move? With doubt. How did he move? With fear. With things like that. So I want to show you this pattern. And it just, it's what he keeps doing. So after all these victories, he was still tempted to be afraid. You say, well, that's not logical. Well, temptations are not logical. They're not logical. They're spiritual. 
Temptations are spiritual battles that you win with the sword of the Spirit. They're not logical. The devil's not logical. So I see a pattern here. I want to just present to you guys of the enemy's tactics that he used here and he tries to use with us. First, he was tempted to doubt God's word of protection. Then he's, caused, he's tempted to fear man's revenge. Then he's tempted to disobey God. And guys, we're, we're the same way. Adam and Eve, think of this. Remember, Eve was tempted to doubt God's word. Then she was tempted to fear that God was holding something back from her. Then she was tempted to disobey. And when she did, something died. Something died. We see doubt, fear, disobedience, and then death. That's the pattern of the enemy. That's his pattern, what he wants to do. So King David was tempted to doubt. Then he feared and disobeyed, and there was death. And not only did he take the senses when he shouldn't have, he also, he lusted after somebody. He committed adultery. He impregnated a woman and had her husband killed all during the time when kings were supposed to be at war. See, what First Chronicles didn't mention in this story, it mentions in 2 Samuel 11, the story of David and Bathsheba. The same story, same timeline. When he was supposed to be at war, he was out on the roof. He's looking out over the roof. Ooh la la, who's that? And he sees, the Bible says, a very beautiful woman. And uh, he was moved to commit adultery, murder. And then after this is when he did the census. After that. So David did the census because David's confidence had been shaken due to his ugly, nasty sin that he did. Okay? David's kingdom had all these victory, victories, but once he sinned, his confidence was shaken. And you know, that happens in our lives too. When we, we did something, we know when we shouldn't have done that. God, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? And until you receive God's grace and mercy and forgiveness in faith and hold fast to your faith, your confidence and your prayers being answered, your protection or whatever is going to be in jeopardy. You're going to doubt it. And that's what I think Dave was going through. He started to doubt if he was protected or not, and then fear came in. Then Satan moved his heart to do the senses, and then people started to die. After that, there was adultery. After the adultery, but before the census, Nathan the prophet came to visit David. You might remember this story. He tells this story about this poor man only owned one sheep, and this rich man had you know, thousands of all these sheep. And this rich man had a guest come stay with him, and he had to feed him for the night. Instead of killing one of his own lambs, he goes over and takes this poor man's lamb and kills it, and then they eat it. And David was enraged, that man deserves to die. And Nathan said, you are that man. He's like, oh, how'd you know? Who told you? I thought I'd hidden this stuff. I mean, we can hide all we want to, but we can't hide from God. 2 Samuel 12, 13 says, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. What's that saying? God said, I forgive you. United States of America wouldn't have been forgiven. You and I may have struggled to forgive him. But here, God forgave him. But he doubted it. And fear and anxiety crept in. And then he did this census. So after he did the census, you know, 70,000 men died in Israel after that census. 70,000. What happened? It doubted. Fear. Disobedience. And then death. Also the death of his son. Because be, she became pregnant. And that baby died. So it all started when David chose to stay home at a time of war. You know, there, there's safety. Again, there's safety in doing things that you're called to do. 
There's safety of getting those healthy routines and just doing it again and again and again, even when you don't feel like it, even when you feel like you're not getting anything from your Bible reading or your prayer time or your worship time at home or whatever. You just, you don't, you're just not feeling it. You're not maybe connecting. There is safety and wisdom. Just go at it again. Go back again. Open your heart again. Read the Bible again. Blow the dust off if you have to. Open it up and read it and spend time with God. There is safety in that. Where is not safety is listening to the voice of the enemy and staying home and doing nothing. We need people in life to correct us. We need a Nathan to come alongside of us. It would have been better if Nathan would have got there a few nights before, maybe. It would have been a little better. But anyway, um, he stayed home. And he was tempted to lust. Then he was tempted to commit adultery. Then he was tempted to cover it up by bringing Uriah home from war and try to get him to sleep with his wife. He goes, I'm not going to do it. Uh, my men are dying at war. I need to be out there. He wouldn't do it. And so after he wouldn't do that, he sends... he. Uriah delivers the death sentence through a letter to the captain of the guard, Joab, and had his, with his own death letter in, in his own hand, he delivered it. That's wicked. That's evil. So uh, then he died. So due to fear, he disobeyed God by doing the census. And again, I want to notice this pattern. Satan moved David's heart to number Israel. And Satan tries to move your heart to do things too. Doubt, fear, get offended, not forgive. I mean, you name it. They're temptations. Anything that God's asked us to do and we're choosing not to do, it's either our flesh or it's a temptation or most likely a combination of both. So he'll try to tempt us to doubt God's word. They'll try to get us in fear. Then he will tempt us to disobey God. Notice how, again, how Eve saw the tree was good, pleasant, and desirable. Look at how David saw Bathsheba. The word for very beautiful there is good and beautiful, or or, um, good and pleasant. And you also know from the story that she was also desirable for him. We don't even know how many wives he already had. And God told Nathan, if he wanted more, I would have gave him more. Why do you have to steal this guy's wife? Why do you have to put her to death? But you know, when you get down the wrong path, and you've already gone through the doubt, the fear, disobedience, the death, then you're trying to cover up what you did. You got to do. Then he has to lie about this. Then he has to kill. Then he has to cover. And it, it still got out. I'm sure the whole place found out about it. But when Adam and Eve sinned, there was spiritual death, physical death, and the entire human race brought death. When after King David died, uh, sinned, there was seventy thousand people that died, and also his son. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. God has life to offer you. There's nothing that the enemy has to offer you that's good or pleasing. It might be desirable, but in the end, it's going to lead to death. So I would be careful, guys and ladies, young and old. Don't be in close proximity to places you shouldn't be. Because when you do, the temptation level is going to greatly increase. I want to close with these couple verses here. But Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is trying to give you something. The devil is trying to take something from you. God wants to give you something. He wants to give you life. The devil wants to just steal, kill, and destroy your life. And close with this one. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape 
that you may be able to bear it. No temptation that you're struggling with, that you're going through, is, is, it's common to man. It's, co- it's common from 100 years ago. It's common to 1,000 years ago and more. It's common to man. The devil used the same tactics, the same strategy in the Garden of Eden. And in King David's life, he's the same thing today. He's not that creative. He does it in maybe different ways, but it's the same kind of thing. To steal, kill, and destroy and trick us. Amen? And I think if we can be aware of how the devil is tempting you, and use a sword of spirit to fight, we'll have a lot less casualties of war and a lot less death in our life, a lot less of this and a lot less doubt and fear and unbelief and a lot more faith and see God move. Amen? Not just in our own lives, but in our families. Amen? And why don't you guys stand? I want to pray and bless you. It's important to recognize the thoughts that you think are not always coming from your heart. They're not always coming from you. Sometimes they're coming from a spiritual realm. And in that spiritual realm that's coming to you, uh, the evil side of it anyway, is thoughts that might look innocent and not that harmful at first. Just stay home. But in the end, if he wasn't at home, Uriah would have been alive. Uh, Things would have been so different in David's life and other ones' lives. And your sin doesn't only hurt you, it hurts people around you. So uh, we, again, watch our proximity and listen to the Lord. God, I thank you for your word. I pray we learn from your word and take note of the enemy's tactics so we can stand our guard against the day of evil and fight the good fight of faith with the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, the word of truth. God, I thank you that The wages of sin is death, but your gift for us is eternal life through Jesus. You have life and peace and joy to offer us. Everything good. You're not trying to paint this deceptive picture. What you have to offer is really good. What the enemy tries to offer looks good, but it's not good. It's deceptive and destructive. So I pray for even a spirit of wisdom and revelation to come upon us, to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're speaking to the church and the wisdom you're releasing in this time. The Bible says in the last days, uh, many will fall away. Many will be deceived. And I don't want that to be you guys. You've watched these patterns of the enemy. You'll see, because he'll try them on you too. So God, I bless them in Jesus' name, your people. I thank you for them. May they uh, just be richly blessed with your presence, your love, and your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you guys. Love you. You are dismissed. Don't forget, tonight, 6.30, we're having a service.